shifting bits, making hits. We're on the podcast. Let's get lit. What bits are we shifting? The, the, the bits. The bit shift. It's a bit shift. It's a, it's a, it's a function that you can do in, in programming. Oh, there you go. Monday night's great night for podcast. Yeah, but they, don't, they don't know we record on a Monday. Maybe they listen on a Monday. Maybe, Maybe they, they listen, listen on a Monday. Monday. Yeah, mate, there you go. Well, we don't record on a Monday. I'm, I'm just, just not, not that into, into Mondays. <laughs> I'm not, just not that into Mondays. There you it's go. It's Garfield. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I, I hate Mondays. OMG. OMG, the podcast is on. You ready for this, Sam? Welcome to I'm Just Not That Into Games. This week we're going to do something a little bit different to what we normally do. I'm going to spend this episode going through the top five games of 2017 that I played. You know, just for a bit more of a freeform approach. Uh, a lot of our other episodes we have um, uh, more dedicated editing to get it tight and short and simple. So this one's going to probably seem a little bit rambly in comparison. So Andy has kindly let me rant about my five top games that I played in 2017. And in return, I've decided to let him talk about his top five Newcastle moments. Excellent. And I'm I'm looking very much forward. I mean, Sam, I think you shouldn't be so too harsh on us. We have actually got two very distinct top five lists. So we, we, we have got a fair bit of structure. Here. I don't think there'll be any overlap between these two lists in particular. You know what, Sam? You're just not that into football, but just like <laughs> I have had my eyes opened about certain aspects of the gaming world. Don't you mean soccer? Well, oh. soccer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, boys. Now, now. Now, now. All right, all right, all right. Well, well, I'll turn it down a little. This top five list is going to be the games that I played in 2017. And as a result, some of them are games that were released in 2016 and maybe 2015, if you cut it that way. So, yeah. And as everyone who follows football knows, the European football seasons actually span two years. So you'll have a 2016, 2017 season. I'll just be talking about tw- the 2017 calendar year, which encompasses the second half of the 2017-2016 season and the first half of the 2017-2018 season. I can see you rolling your eyes, Sam, but it's important details for the listeners. I would hate for them to get confused. I, I mean, it's the most important thing of this podcast, I'm and sure. And also, it must be mentioned that Newcastle probably don't have enough highlights for this season alone, so that's why we had to delve back to last season. Yeah. I'm going, well, I'm, go- I'm going, you know what? I'm going to ignore that because. <laughs> because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's as good a place as ever to get into it. <laughs> well, let's kick things off, Sam, with right. your number five game for 2017. All right. So number five was the hardest one to place because number one to four was pretty easy. Uh, there were some real shockingly good games this year. Shockingly good games this year, and some terrible games as well, because, hey, the games industry is what it is. My number five was Quadrilateral Cowboy, which was a game released in 2016. This was a game released by Blendo Games, which is definitely a, a small indie studio. that they, they release games every now and then with a similar sort of artistic style, and, um, and, and they try to do lots of weird and interesting things with their games. They're, they're kind of short and simple, but you know, very well executed, very, very solid ideas. Quadrilateral Cowboy is a hard name to say to start with, but it's a game that I think it it gets the best approach to doing puzzle games. So a lot of the problem with a lot of puzzle games is that they have one defined solution. And so most of the time your goal is to try and find that one solution. Once you get it, you do it, you win. And, And, you know, that can be fun and rewarding, but that also has the risk of being a bit annoying when you sit there and stuck on a puzzle for a little while. And, you know, you, you can sort of just get a bit frustrated by the experience. What they've done with Quadrilateral Cowboy is to try and make a game that's more about problem solving. Your goal is to do this, but there's several different ways that you can approach it, which is typically the better way to go about it, I find, because it, it allows your creative solutions and, th- and, and alternative thought processes come in and you know shake up um, how you approach a problem. So the idea behind the game is that you are uh, a group of criminals planning out heists. So you have to break into a facility or um, steal from a moving truck or something. But the gimmick is that you're actually planning out these heists in a like a virtual world in kind of like a Pentium computer era. So it's like really basic kind of computer graphics. So it's got this weird like retro cyberpunk feel to it, which is an interesting sort of idea. But you get all these bits of equipment and you have to sort of code up the solutions for those equipments to work. So you might have like a gun and then you need to program it so that it will rotate 45 degrees and shoot and then wait three seconds and then rotate again to shoot again. You can like create these little scripts for each of your components to run so that you can have that shoot that glass 
disable the alarm for three seconds as you run through, move up to the second floor and just keep like building these like layered solutions towards problems. And then as you keep playing the game, you get more and more equipment, which then allows you to change up the way that you approach different problems. You can get little robots that move around levels so you can try and get that to maneuver to the end zone. And you know, I wanna, when I was looking online to see how other people approach some of these problems, there were some crazy solutions that I would never have thought of off, off the top of my head, but you know, the game allows for a lot of this emergent creativity with the really interesting um, gimmick of just having this console that you could just drop on the floor, type a bunch of commands in and interact with the world in some way. At the end of the game, I wanted more and I just, I, I really loved the idea behind everything that the game offered. Unfortunately, I haven't played this game, but Sam very, very kindly has got a clip from YouTube for us to look at. So we're, we're just going to pause the podcast now and both, both Ruby and I are going to have a look at that clip. Well, we're back, and Ruby and I both enjoyed that little uh, clip Sam had for us. Mm -hmm. So, Sam, I, I saw the clip that you played for us. It was actually the one of the ads for for the game. Yep. And when I was watching it, I've got a couple of questions came up. Number one, do you ever see any characters in the game at all? Like, do you ever see yourself, or do you see other humans? There's bits in between the heists that you sort of do, which um, you interact with two other hackers that are inside the world. There is a bit of a story around what's happening, but it's not really that all that. It's just there to, to keep things moving along and to explain why you're getting new new bits and equipment and things. And there's a couple of points where you see a mirror to see yourself as a character. Oh, really? Okay, cool. So back way 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 back in the day like i'm talking about when i was a kid in primary school um we played an old game called mystery house i think it was on the on the apple two e's mm -hmm. and we're talking about a long we're talking about green screens here right yeah yeah and then when we finally got an ibm computer we played mist yep and this made me think a little bit of the game mist and and that sort of go to a place right you know do those text commands Mm. look for something search for something something else happens and then you sort of move your way through it yeah yeah um and they've definitely inspired i uh, brought some of the inspiration for those sorts of games into that game into quadrilateral cowboy and they've made it feel like one of those old school games but it still has so much of the, the modern game design and modern feeling towards it that it, it is a, a, a fully fresh game so hang on when you say modern game design what mm -hmm. do you mean by that? Well, in comparison to something like Mist, you know, you've got an open ability to move around and interact with stuff. It's got interactable objects in the world. It's got decent looking graphics. Rather than just like a left or right. Yeah, yeah, you pretty know. much. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a lot more open. It's um, rather than a lot of those old school games kind of could only ever have one solution to a puzzle because otherwise it would be too difficult to consider everything that would happen. Whereas modern games just really understand that these games are more like sandboxes. So just make a fun, engaging set of problems let people loosen to it and see what they do. And if they find some weird, wonderful way to get the game to not work quite as they intended, but it solves the puzzle, then great. For plebs like me and Andrew, would it be hard to pick up? It looked difficult to pick up. Um, I think, yeah. So, it, like, while this game was number five on my list, it's one that I would tentatively recommend to people. I mean, it's, it's probably really ticked a box in my camp because it's got a bit of programming in it and it's like, oh, I, I can do this sort of stuff. The, they explain things quite well and there's um, lots of resources in the game to help you ex explain how to do some of these things. But I can understand that some people could pick up the game and just get a little bit uh, frustrated by it or, or not find it particularly engaging. So for you, like the one thing that made, now I understand the, you know, like yeah, I suppose it's a little bit like when you have bosses at the end of levels. Like there's, there's normally a few different ways, at least in a good game, to, mm -hmm. to uh, kill a boss, right? Yes. So, and I mean, it's not the same as a puzzle, but the boss is kind of a puzzle. And sometimes big bosses are a bit puzzly because there's mm. lots of different things going on, right? Absolutely. But what's the one thing that, you know, because you've played a lot of games in 2017, my friend. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing that, that got this to number five for you? I think the thing that really brought it home was just the, the novelty of it, right? Like, it, it was something that used that sort of scripting inside of a game in a way that was genuinely i haven't seen that done in a game before a lot of those levels were designed quite well that when you screwed it up and you got a little bit lost you could start again and and, and think about the, the situation a little bit more good level design i guess combined with a novel idea and the novel idea being in inputting the code like well, scripting yeah in, yeah in the game to to actually play the game exactly cool well that sounds pretty good now i believe it's the number five newcastle united moment yep oh <sighs> Here we go. <clears throat> now, 
Just for our listeners, to remind people, Newcastle United are a football team who play in the English Premier League, and they come from the northeast of England. And, and the English Premier League is probably the top soccer league or football league in the world. Well, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, right now it is the it is the richest league in the world. Um, whether yeah. or not that makes it the top league in the world, I don't know. But what else can we measure on? You know what I mean? That's right, cash flavor, <laughs> baby. I mean, we could measure but, on how many te- how many of their teams have won the Champions League, but that would be silly because the English Premier League wouldn't be up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to all our listeners in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and your national team's terrible as well, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, and we won't even talk about your cricket side. What the hell? Okay. My fifth best moment of the 2017 for Newcastle United was Newcastle United beat West Ham at West Ham 3-2 on the 27th of December 2017. Mm -hmm. So pretty much the last game of of that calendar year. Was Winston Reid playing? Uh, No, he's injured. Yeah, well, there you go. That's why. For our listeners, Winston Reid is a New Zealand footballer who plays West Ham. Okay, so why why this got number five for me was it had been nine matches without a win and the team were plummeting towards the relegation zone. And it had actually been two matches without even scoring a goal. Wow. So Newcastle came from behind in the match and then held on to win. And this is something they hadn't been able to do pretty much all season. Plus they scored three goals. So, you know, started scoring goals again. Now, a guy called Henri Savay started... And despite barely featuring for Newcastle since he joined the club three years ago. So he spent all last season out, out on loan and ha- hadn't played at all this season. So understandably, everyone feared the worst when he popped up on the team sheet. Right. And those worries were pretty much confirmed when he gave away the first goal. <laughs> like he, pretty, he just directly gave away the first goal. But then he went completely off script. Scored an equaliser from a free kick uh, minutes later. And after that, he had a great game and helped Newcastle pick up a very, very important three points. Now, the postscript to mm-hmm. this feeling of joy were the good feelings were predictably short-lived. So Newcastle went on to drop vital points against relegation rivals as after the match. Yep. And end 2017 hovering just outside the relegation zone. Now, good old Savay, who had a cracking game... Hasn't been seen since, despite playing better than many of his midfield rivals in the team and has subsequently left the club again on loan for the rest of the season. So yet another another case of Newcastle taking lemonade, turning it back into lemons, and then <laughs> turning those lemons into shit. <laughs> I got some of those words, especially the bit with lemons and shit. Okay. Mm. Any uh, questions? I think we're all good there, Andrew. We might move on to Sam's number four game, I reckon. Number yeah. four game right. for the year. Yeah. My number four game is Witcher 3 by CD Projekt Red. Again, another 2016, 2015 game in, in any other year. And if I was doing this list and I'm playing games a bit more up to date, this would have definitely made the best game of 2016. So the fact that they made number four in 2017's list was a testament to how many good games there were that came out this year. The Witcher series is a series that I was never really super into. I played the first one and got bored, played the second one and wanted to like it, but just like after a few hours, just, you know, never found myself getting back to it. But when I played um, Witcher 3, I think they had fixed up a lot of the things that were just small niggling annoyances in the previous games, you know, or massive annoyances in the first one. And in, in the end, they streamlined it down to where that core bit was fun. And they made that core bit feel really, really good. And then that just sort of made it so much easier to open it up the game, play a little bit, put it back down again. And, and just churn a bit of time in, in, in that world. So, Sam, can I just ask, what was the core bit of the game? So, um, in number one, the combat for the game was largely you click on an enemy and then he starts attacking it and then, you know, maybe you click again and, you know, it just, it was not really super engaging. Number two was a little bit better, but some of the things, because he was actually now moving around and, you know, actually attacking, clicking to, to attack rather than clicking on an enemy to attack. Just a little thing like that made a huge difference, but it still felt a little bit clunky. Whereas in number three, everything, the whole movement scheme and, and all that they've done with, you know, all the different control schemes feels really tight. Like they've learned a lot from games like Dark Souls, I think. They've took, taken a lot of inspiration from how those games feel really good to play. Um, and they just made it feel a lot more engaging when you were being in a fight to have to, you know, navigate around and, and be a member of the battlefield moving around rather than being kind of just, 
you know, I'll move it a little bit here and well, what's the point kind of thing. They had lots of good little hooks in the plot so that you just keep playing for a little bit. And then as you keep going, the plot for the game was actually really good. So as you get through and, and, and discover more bits, you just kind of want to see what happens. And that's the key thing that an RPG needs to do. If it can't do that, forget it, right? And I think one of the things that made it uh, stand out a lot was... There's been so many open world games, like games where you can just go into an open world and explore around and go get this thing and do that thing over there. And like Ubisoft is really bad for this, especially for having a massive open world that's just full of things to do. And you just go running around going, oh, okay, now I'm going to go to this point and stand there to get that achievement. And then I'm going to go here and kill that guy because it's what it tells me to do. And it just feels a little um, forced. And when, when you say full of things to do, you mean full of not very interesting things to do. Precisely. It's just things that you do because the game tells you go get the thing. I mean, that's what you want to do, right? Whereas The Witcher 3 tried to make a world filled with people and events and questions. And then that would lead to more interesting games. So you'd go to a, a little village and rather than be like, oh, okay, we want you to kill a guy. There'd be a bit of a discussion. There'd be a reason behind everything, a cutscene with some you know, good voice acting, good character development, and then some interesting questions about what you're going to do next. So when you finish a little, they're, they're like little story stories in their own, wrapped up nice and neat, nice and neat. And then at the end of it, you've made some decisions and you've made a little bit of more of an impact on that world based on how you want that world to be i guess in a way so you feel more of a part of that world by making those decisions but the decisions are always from the perspective of this character Geralt which is the main character of the game um and he has like a, a restricted limitation to what what he will do because you know he, he's a character you're playing a character you're not playing you in the game so it does frame your decisions in in this character's viewpoint which is very interesting in in a, in a lot of ways and also you made a point of you don't get to be whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. You are Gerald. Is it yes, Gerald? You are Gerald. Gerald with a T. You have to do things from Gerald's yeah. worldview perspective. And there's, like you said, there's boundaries to what Gerald will and won't do. Exactly. Okay, I think it's about time we had a bit of a yeah, look at this game. Six months into the invasion, Nilfgaard's legions had pierced the heart of the northern realms. Behind them, blood-soaked fields, war-swept wastes. A lone wolf roamed these broken lands, a beast slayer, a whirlwind of rage and steel. They say he was a man obsessed, chasing memories, faces, scents. Yet amidst the chaos, he could only follow his heart. Okay, so we've just we've just watched a very highly produced yeah, yeah. gameplay trailer. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a trailer. <laughs> oh no, no, no. But um, we we watched a trailer before, and I wouldn't have say I wouldn't say that that was highly produced. Well, and then yeah. that was the aesthetic of the game as well, wasn't it? True. What, is is all that stuff in the trailer like having played the game? Is all that stuff in the trailer from the game? Yes. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask because it looked. It looked amazing. I mean, I, I, it looks a little bit better in the trailer than it does in the game, mainly because the game has UI elements and it's, it's more of a game in, in the game. But all those bits in there were bits inside the game and all those bits in the world were real places you can visit and do stuff in. And uh, a good portion of that wasn't cutscene. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty much it. There's lots of cutscenes in the game, though, because there's a lot of dialogue and lots of um, character development and... Yeah, but in a good way. Um, There's one other point that I wanted to bring up, which was that the game does something really interesting with villains. Now, a lot of games just kind of have, you know, very two-dimensional villains. Oh, I'm evil, I'm going to take over the world kind of thing. But The Witcher did a, did a really good job with creating villains that were unambiguously evil, but very interesting. So, hang on, when you say unambiguously evil, you mean they are evil to their core. We're talking- yeah. Joseph Stalin, we're talking Hitler. <laughs> yeah, 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 all totally. The big, all the big boppers. Yeah, all you know, the big boppers. The big, the big bad guys. But, th- but those two people, whilst being unambiguously evil, mm-hmm. were also very clear why they were doing the things yeah, they yeah, were doing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. These characters, so like, for instance, the crones in the game are these three old hags, because a lot of the, the, the big plot um, arcs of the game are actually based loosely on corrupted fairy tales kind of thing. So they've got the three crones from the famous stories of Norse and Greek mythology, and they're just these evil old gods that have just walked into this swamp and taken over it and just corrupted everything. And their visual appearance is genuinely disturbing and, and, and in a way that's just amazing. And then there's in the uh, DLC pack, the first one, Hearts of Stone, Gontaro Dim is this character that is just, he is so beyond powerful that's not even funny that you know that if you fought him, you would lose. 
And that's just such an interesting villain in a game like this where, you know, you've fought massive giant demons and beasts and then there's this guy that just walks in who you met randomly and he's just the biggest, most intimidating force in the entire game's universe. So, how do you deal with that? And and he can't be defeated. He cannot be defeated. Can't be defeated. But he can be outwitted. Outwitted. Ah. And that's that's so much more interesting than just having a guy that's got, oh, I've got lots of health and armor, beat me up at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you have to find this special sword to kill me. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's just, it's, it's a MacGuffin to go do with all this stuff. This guy, you're just sitting there going, oh, like, what am I going to do? And when it gets to the end, he could just kill me. What am I, like, what, what's going on? It's good. So, you have like a Bilbo Baggins Gollum sort of face off. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, there you go. Um, but yeah, and, that's, and that little bit of making those villains really interesting just made some of the, the, those, those bits in the game so memorable and so interesting. And it's something that I think if they didn't have that, the game would have been half as good easily. Well- Talking of villains, mm-hmm. <laughs> here we go. Talking about Newcastle again. Yes. <laughs> Talking about uh, unambiguously evil people, <laughs> which would be Mike Ashley, the owner of Newcastle. Oh. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Yeah, well, look, just remember he might be listening and he could be a fan of the podcast. Mike. <laughs> so be nice. <laughs> Mr. Ashley, if you are listening, sell the club. And get out of Newcastle. You don't want to be involved, and we don't want you to be involved. <laughs> That's what I wanted. Right. What's number four, Andrew? Okay. Number four on my positive hits list for 2017 in Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. Number four is actually a defeat. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, it's got to be, right? <laughs> I mean, there's like, only so many wins. Yeah, sounds <laughs> yeah. like the last decade's been. And there hasn't, there hasn't been many wins. Anyway. So, it was a 1-0 defeat at home to Manchester City mm-hmm. on the 23rd of December. That's pretty impressive, though. Yes, City. it is. Now, <laughs> Ruben knows his stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, against a magnificent Manchester City team, and I'll, I'll say this now, this City team this season is one of the greatest football teams I've watched in my time. Now, it's not... It's We're not, referencing the 2017-18 season. Yeah, 2017-18 yeah. yeah. season. Yeah. So, it's not, it's not the Barcelona teams of the Pep Guardiola era or the Florian Frank Reichard era. But it definitely is, it's headed towards uh, that direction. Some of the things they've done is just... Well, like also, they just seem like this year a class above the rest of the competition, really. That's correct. Yeah. And, and in a competition that's richer than ever, the yep. teams... I mean, the Manchester United team, which is supposed to be challenging them, is... It's not. <laughs> and, yet, and yet the Manchester United team is full. Yeah. It's one of the strongest Manchester yeah, United yeah. teams I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. seen some magnificent Manchester United teams. Well, they um, spend a lot of money. They spend they? a heap of money. Heaps. Anyway, so against a magnificent Manchester City team, Newcastle not only restricted them to one goal... They even almost drew the match with a couple of chances at the end. Mm-hmm. The team looked more focused and more organised than they had all season. And even though it was a defeat, the team were given a standing ovation at the end of the match by the packed home crowd. The Newcastle fans, who are intelligent football fans, could see what the team had set out to do and could see how big a challenge that they had taken on, how well they'd done. Right. Now, it's key to note this was a Manchester City side that had flogged teams in direct competition with Newcastle in that bottom half of the Premier League table. They put seven past Stoke, six past Watford, five past Palace. And not only that, they put five past Liverpool. And this was and Liverpool were meant to be a team that could compete with Man City. Mm-hmm. So it was no mean feat that Newcastle that the Newcastle defence, guilty for so much of the season, <laughs> four dropping points for for Newcastle, right. was able to combat this attacking force in the way they did. Now, as always, the postscript to this is, uh, in true Newcastle fashion, they took all that positivity and momentum from that game and in the next match turned it into a timid <laughs> nil-all draw with Brighton. Now, <laughs> now it's, key, it's, key, to note, it's key, key to note that Brighton is a direct relegation candidate rival. So, yeah, right. so, they, so this, this is a match. It's a game to win. It, it, there is a term one for of the matches only games like this. They can win. That's right. Well, really, like seriously. Yeah, yeah. No, when when you are strategizing for for the season, when you have a weak team like Newcastle have, <laughs> you look at the draw and you go, right, we got to put our strongest team out on the park for Brighton because it's one, the only chance that we might have of getting three points. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's one of the few chances we have of gen- generally pulling in three points. <laughs> and there's a term for matches like this, and it's called a relegation six pointer. 
the side that wins gets three points, but they deny three, three points yeah. to a direct rival. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so for that reason, it was a must win for both teams. A draw really didn't help anyone. Yep. And thus we got bitter, bitter, bitter disappointment. Right. <sighs> yep. Any uh, questions? Yeah, actually, I've got a comment to make on that. Um, you almost drew with Manchester City. Now, I did comment that that was pretty good, but to bring you back down to earth... Almost Drews don't get you out of the relegation zone, mate. <laughs> how, how in the world am I not back down to earth? I'm a Newcastle fan. Yeah, yeah okay. We're well, used, used to getting stomped on the ground. Right. The other thing I will say is your season sounds a lot like um, the New Zealand Warriors for the last 10 years. For for listeners at home, the New Zealand Warriors are a rugby league team in Australia. That are an atrocity. But but when they come up against the top of the table, they'll pull their finger out and upset them, and then they'll just go on a ten game losing streak. But anyway, we're not here to talk about New Zealand Warriors. We're here to talk about Sam's number three game of two thousand and seventeen. Number three is What Remains of Edith Finch, a game by Giant Sparrow. There's a lot of criticism of what people call the walking simulator game, and the best example that you've probably played of that is the Stanley Parable, a game where you sort of walk around in a world and interact with a story in some way, um, but there's no like real strong gameplay element. It's, it's a bit hard to define that sort of loop. I think the, the genre was best typified about three years ago with a game called Gone Home, which was a good game but suffered from the fact that it was just a good story in a okay kind of world, but nothing else to really bring it home. Like I, I played the game and I wanted to like it a lot more than I actually did. And after, a, you know, after about a week of playing it, I just went, that game, it had an interesting story, but it's hard to justify the time investment into playing that game when it probably could have been a short story and just been just as good. And I didn't have that sense of attachment to the world like they kind of wanted me to have. So I, I found it hard to relate. What Remains of Edith Finch, however, is a game that takes that idea of someone returning back to a childhood home and, and finding out what's happened and makes it something genuinely amazing. You're basically playing in this game as Edith Finch, who's, I think, 17 years old. Uh, her family has a curse, and the curse is that they always die young and in tragic fashion. Basically, everyone in her family is dead. And so she's going back to the family house to discover what happened to everyone, what is going on with this particular curse, and, and to try and, like, figure this, this sort of um, out in her life. As you go through this old house that is kind of fantastical in some, some elements and kind of weird and bizarre and interesting, you basically play the last moments of every single one of her family members in these little vignettes that are quite self-contained and quite powerful and quite moving in a lot of ways. So you play the last moments of their death? Yes. Goodness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a dark sort of game. But the thing is, is that like, they're always told from the perspective of the people who are remaining. And they're people that believed in that curse as well. So a lot of those last moments are kind of fantastical and, and wondrous in a way that you know isn't the reality of the situation. So they're dying, but in the classic sort of story sense, they, they believe that this was their destiny. Mm, pretty much. Oh, okay, right. But the thing is, each of those little individual vignettes are all a very different style. They all have a very different theme and they do different art styles for some of them. They do different sort of little gameplay ideas for them, simple loops. And, and they, they really express a lot of a character inside these short little bits of it. So I think we're going to have to have a, a, a bit of a look at this. Let's so let's pause the podcast and get on that YouTube. I'm sure my mom was just trying to protect me. Now that there's only one of us left, I thought it was time I heard the stories. But now I'm worried the stories themselves might be the problem. Uh, okay, so looking at the trailer and hearing what you're saying, I mean, the trailer really didn't give much away, and I'm assuming yeah. it is a like I've played the Stanley Parable. Mm -hmm. I can see how this would be a way to engage with a story. That isn't a, you know, watching completely passive. Yep. But it's still not that. It's not super active either. So it's yeah. a very accessible kind of experience. And, um, but yeah, um, I think the reason why What Remains of Edith Finch jumped from being a really good game to being number three on my list was just one single scene in the game, which was, people will know it as the cannery level. And if you talk to people who play the game, everyone goes, yeah, that's, that's the thing. 
And I think it was probably one of the most intense experiences I've ever had in a game, ever. Hands down. I was literally shaking at the end of it. Like, wow. Just from, just from how powerful the ideas and the expression of that idea was, was executed. That was actually going to be my next question. Did mm. you actually like get scared throughout playing the game? I was never scared, but yeah. I was overwhelmed. I yeah, think yeah, is yeah, the way yeah. to describe yeah, it. Yeah, it you- was never a scary game because you know okay. it's, you, you kind of know it's written into the yeah. DNA of the game. Everyone's going to die. But, but there was like right. an emotional reaction just it's just the sheer sadness and and yeah. like of those last moments yeah. of the of the terrible stories that happened to these it's people extremely that, overwhelming yeah. it's just it, it it just it's it's incredible that's cool okay so why when you say it's incredibly sad okay mm-hmm. so I, I i think back to a movie called alive have you ever heard of a movie called alive i've heard of it but i don't think i've seen it okay so it's a movie about uh the a South American football team that crashes in the mountains and they have right. to they they end up surviving for I think 3 months or 4 months up there. They ended up having to eat some mm-hmm. of, some of the dead passengers. Alive is a good movie, but it's just overwhelmingly sad yeah, and just yeah. one setback after after another. Mm-hmm. And even when they get rescued at the end, it's like well they're rescued and now they've got to tell everyone how they survived, which is by eating yeah, the, yeah. the so dead it's- passengers. Yeah. So, it, I would never recommend anyone watch Alive, even though it's very well made and it's a true story and all this kind of stuff, because it just, there's it's nothing not good that comes out of it. Yet, another movie which is overwhelmingly negative, mm-hmm. but is a fantastic experience, is There Will Be Blood. Right, yeah. Which is, and there's nothing good in There yeah, Will no Be one, Blood. No one walked out of that one. No one, it's a terrible grinding experience, but a, a wonderful like, it's just a wonderful emotional experience. Yeah. Or it's Schindler's List. I, I've never seen Schindler's Whoa, List. Whoa, bro. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I guess Have you? Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I watched it a few months ago, actually. Yeah. But Devastating, but yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see your point, though, in that you can make a game that is just so overwhelmingly sad, it loops around to being just just too much. Yeah, it's a lot of... And lives like that, it's just a lot of bad luck. And you're like, yeah, oh yeah. my God, really? Oh, exactly. I, I think Edith Finch isn't on that end. I think it's more on the there will be blood kind of thing where it is it is overwhelming. It is quite powerful in a lot of those ideas. But the game has lots of breathing room. It gives you a lot of time to think about these yeah. things. And it's it, it, it is well paced in a way that doesn't make it feel like just endless horror kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I would say this about there will be blood. It's it's great because it's so spectacular. It's yeah. so incredibly spectacular and well done that even though everything is negative, it's it it it's just an amazing experience. It's yeah. amazing. Experience. I, I'd say it's that's yeah. exactly like why I re- would recommend Edith Finch, which is number three. I just think that it's amazing how a game can give you that emotional reaction. You know, like that's mm. that's pretty powerful. That's some seriously powerful stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Twenty seventeen, I think, was just a really good year for games that made me walk away from the end of it with some greater appreciation both of the world and end of games themselves yeah and, yeah yeah and it's, it's good to have a, a nice a nice year where there's just so many good games yeah totally mm. not a good year for football f- <laughs> <laughs> never a good year for yeah, Newcastle yeah, 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 yeah. well hang on yeah. we are talking about the positive the highlights of the season yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, of, the, yeah. Cal- yeah. of the calendar year that's why we're limiting it to five <laughs> that is why we're limiting it to five <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> number three on my Newcastle United hit list Newcastle beat Brighton 2-1 at Brighton in the 28th of February. Now, this was the second half of the previous season. So, they, this is when Newcastle were down in the championship. So, Brighton came up as well then? Brighton came up as well. Okay. That's right. Now, this win meant a home and away win over Newcastle's direct championship title rival. Actually, Newcastle, Newcastle's only rival for the championship title that season was Brighton. Mm-hmm. Now, Brighton were looking for revenge from their loss at Newcastle earlier in the season. And not only that, Brighton were actually in top spot. And this result moved Newcastle within one point of them. Right. But more so, Newcastle came from behind to win a thrilling match, one in which Brighton had been on top for long periods. And it was the first proper pressure match that this Newcastle team, which had been relegated the uh, season before, a lot of players shipped out, a lot of players came in. You know, there was a lot of anxiety around the club. Uncertainty. Uncertainty, yeah. And mm-hmm. and Newcastle rose to the challenge. And it was probably the first time, even though they won a heap of games before this, it was the first time that, especially my, myself as a fan, thought, you know, this team can do it. Like this right. team, I feel like this team is coming together and it can actually face the big matches. In con- in the context of the season, it was a huge game, really. Huge game. Yeah. No, it was a big, a big game. And, you know, a really good positive uh, step forward for uh, a, a very a fledgling Newcastle team. Had been together about... 
a lot of the team had only played together for about seven months. So it was the game that sort of um, reinvigorated your love of the team, I guess, in a way. Oh, no, 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 well, this is uh, Sam's number two game. So. Oh, smooth. Yeah, there yeah. you go. You're welcome, boys. That's Sam why I get the big Sam Gillespie's bucks. number two game of 2017. This one is Persona 5 by Atlas. Now, actually, I'm as surprised as everyone else that this game is number two on my list because it was a game that I was looking forward to for seven or eight years. I'm very surprised this is number two on your list because we met up for a coffee mm-hmm. months and months ago and you were just raving about this game. And it is excellent by all accounts. Um, but yeah, just again, surprising games. of uh, You'll have to wait and listen to find out what number one is. Um, <laughs> but no. So the Persona series, um, I was a fan from um, number three and played number four as well. Um, and the idea behind these games is that they're set in Japan and you're playing as a Japanese high school student. Um, and it sort of blends two worlds in these games, one which is the mundane, regular life of a high school student. And the second one is this weird and wonderful, bizarre, fantastical adventure. It's a simple idea, but the way, the thing that makes it step apart from a lot of your traditional kind of cliche kind of fantasy games is they focus a lot on the idea of Jungian philosophy. So the idea that everyone has a collective unconscious that, that, that influences the world around them, that everyone has a, a shadow or a darker side to themselves. You were talking about the, philosoph- the uh, so- psychologist Jung. Psychologist Jung, yes. Oh, yeah. Goodness. So it, it just kind of like builds this positive. What if it's all true and it's all in this weird fantasy side world? But then it builds on top of that with strong characters and strong motivations. So, I mean, from number three and number four, that was really interesting and really well done. But, you know, there were PS2 era kind of games and they had lots of needless grind and they were you know they had lots of flaws but i love them anyway because they told a good story especially number three the ending of number three is i think one of those just genuinely amazing moments at a game where you just put it down and go wow that was something didn't care for persona 4 as much but i can there's still a lot to like and they really fixed up a lot of those mechanics and they keep the same sort of mechanics throughout the entire games and when they get to the fifth one it's just they've polished everything that they've done in those previous systems and made them 10 times better right like everything flows a lot more smoothly everything's a lot more interesting the, the central core of the game is the idea that you're of the fantasy world kind of game is that you're collecting these personas and their different attributes and different like mythological beings and all these sort of collective unconscious characters from folklore kind of thing that you, you, you gather up and, and, and use their abilities. But you can then sort of with the system fuse them together and get more powerful ones and kind of rig their attributes and abilities together to create stronger and stronger monsters. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird like Pokemon kind of thing in a way. It's a very weird game. Like, don't get me wrong. Persona is just famous for being a very weird series. But, yeah, sorry. Okay, so I think we're going to yeah, have to have a look at this look. because, um, okay, let's pause the podcast and do our thing. You are truly as he anticipated. This is truly an unjust game. But if my voice is reaching you, I beg you, please overcome this game and save the world. I'll navigate your so, we just watched the trailer. Yep. And... I'm going to say that uh, I've watched a fair bit of anime yep. in my time, and I've disliked most anime. That's fair. Now, some of the things I most enjoy that I've ever watched in terms of movies or TV series or is, is actually anime. Mm-hmm. I see actually Ghost in the Shell, first gig and second gig are- Fantastic. The equal of The Wire. Like, yeah, is yeah. the equal of The Wire. So, they are just so good. Um uh, another example would be the Neo Genesis stuff, which is mm-hmm. which is weird, but it's a crazy good, right? It, it's got it, it. It goes places. It goes <laughs> places, right? But my main problem with that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it, for the majority of stuff which gets recommended to me at times, is that it's just not very emotionally developed. Like it's yeah, it's very much. Not it, even the last years of high school. It's almost like your kitty. It's a bit kitty. Yeah, 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 it's a bit kitty. Yeah. Super yeah. fun, cool. Yeah, and, and like there's the, the, the whole genre of um, things like Lucky Star where it's just needlessly cute and in high school sort of just fake in a well, weird way. It's well, just not super enjoyable. It's fine if it's like, for example, something like Astro Boy mm-hmm. was actually quite emotionally deep. Yeah. Without going over the top and making a big deal of it or being that adult. Yeah, yeah right. I, I think that Persona 5, when you look at it, it kind of looks a bit like... A lot of other things that are kind of, oh, it's a high school kind of drama and everyone's a high school student. Um, the Persona series does 
is quite famous for doing quite strong characters and good character development in the game. Um, there's a lot of little subplots that you can go to talk, spend more time with characters, find out more of their story and develop them. And there's there are some really good characters inside Persona 5. There's a couple of kind of mediocre ones that are just sort of, yeah, didn't get fully fleshed out. I don't know what, you know, development processes, right? You know, maybe a story just didn't get the love that they wanted, but there's still so much in the game that was a really interesting and enjoyable experience and some really strong characters in general. And I, I don't know, I, I found it a very enjoyable experience. So I want to bring up another anime that actually is the only anime that my wife has watched with me ever mm-hmm. and enjoyed, right? Shout out to Andrew's wife. Yeah, shout out Jules. Yeah. I love you, baby. <laughs> there you go. So, I just got you laid, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell Jules that when I get home. Right. You won't have to tell her. She's a listener. <laughs> She's a listener to the podcast. It's, yeah. it's, it's a reward. It's a surprise for you yeah, in a few weeks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to reference Death Death Note here. Death Note, yeah. So Death Note did something where they took a high school, high school genre of something. Mm-hmm. And they walked you into something deeper because, yeah. and especially with um. Now I forget her name, but uh, Light's girlfriend. Oh, you're really yeah. pushing my yeah. I know. Katsumaragi. Mia. Mia. Yeah, maybe it's Mia. Yeah. yeah. So she starts out, and you're like, oh my god. In these interesting deep characters, you bring this. Like yeah. you bring a very shallow. But no, 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 no. She goes deep, and mm. and they they sort of trick you with it because. She has the look and the draw and, and the appearance of everything, all the shallow characters you've ever seen before in these things. Yep. And then by the end, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. By, by the end. And, and even even before then, little ticks, little things you're like- Actually, maybe there's something going on. Yeah. 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 So, exactly. is that is that maybe similar too? Because, you know, what I saw on, on, this, on, that, um, on that clip you played us was yep. exactly everything I don't like, mm. right? But is there is there that is there that kind of thing happening where where it's like it's it's le- it's leaving you in with the with the promise of this, but actually once you get a hold of some of these characters, they 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 start to turn and just spiral in. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of depth to a lot of the characters that when you start to spend more time with them, you realize that they're not these two dimensional kind of cardboard cutouts that they they made out to be. I don't know if there's any character example that would be as well developed and well done as something like Death Note. Yeah. Um, and that was you know, a great example of really good character development. I don't know if it's that good, but at the end of the day, the, the world and the story and the fantastical setting of it really carries a lot of, um, in, in, a lot of the plot as well, right? The only comment I have to add is it reminded me of that game. I can't remember. I've been trying to think of the name of it for the last few minutes. It was on Xbox and <laughs> you're, you're a rollerblader and you had to roll around, a rollerblade around a city and tag stuff. Oh, uh, Jet Set Future? That's the one. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I knew that. That's I why I knew good. Jet Set Future. The guy yeah. who's not in the games. games. Yeah. <laughs> See, because I picked up- I don't up- know, the end game, mm. when I saw some of the end game footage, it just reminded me of that. I don't mm. know, it just triggered a memory. But and- it's probably nothing like that, so. Yeah, well, the thing, the thing another thing about it is yeah. that what you saw in there with all the, like, lots of really cool, um, crazy transitions and effects and, and all that sort of just that's just gameplay footage. Like yeah, okay. A lot of that is driven into the game. So the game has this absolutely amazing art style throughout the whole thing. And it's got yeah. a really jazzy feel to a lot of that. Um, you know, it's, it's a game that's fun to explore menus, which is yeah, right. something I've never seen in a game before. Well, uh, there was one prototype once upon a time. <laughs> hey, we won't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two on the hit list for 2017 Newcastle United Moments. Newcastle beat Preston North End 4-1 at home and are promoted to the Premier League. Huzzah! Woo! Hey, it was a thumping result in front of a packed St. James's Park. After all the misery of relegation the previous season and the frustration of another disappointing January transfer window Mm -hmm. when the team did not reinforce and the, the coach, Rafa Benitez, was desperate to reinforce the team... Newcastle bounced straight back to the Premier League with still uh, two games to play. Mm-hmm. Who'd they beat? They beat Preston North End. Who? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we are Preston down- North End. We are Preston. Any Preston North End listeners? Was it, was it a guy <laughs> named Preston that they beat? <laughs> yeah. I hope there's some Preston North End supporters tuning in. Send us a comment or yeah. or an abusive message. Yeah, give us- <laughs> love to hear from you guys. Yeah, give us a review. <laughs> give, give us a review. Give us something. Yeah. <laughs> Rafa Benedes, the Newcastle co- ma- manager, had delivered on what he promised: automatic promotion, and that meant the fans were spared the Russian roulette nerves of a championship playoff. 
which just for the listeners, so the top two teams are automatically promoted, but the the next four teams go into a semi a sudden death semi final then final playoff. The semi finals are home and away, so it's there's two matches, and then there's a, there's a final at uh, Wembley. I reckon the listeners um, that don't know football probably don't care. <laughs> just a thought like you're explaining it like for Me, the, you know for the this non- whole concept is pr- pretty flawed putting yeah. a for the, for podcast the non- about football and games in the same one for the non-football fans um, we don't care <laughs> get back to the games they're probably fast forwarding right now okay well great fast forward all you want this is my time and this is what I'm doing okay now the season had been up and down due to the team not being strong and the last time Newcastle had been relegated which was a couple of seasons beforehand they Sounds gone. like they get relegated a lot. No, well, they've been, <laughs> recent times they have. Anyway, but last time they they were relegated, they actually went down with a very strong team. So they just strolled their way through Whereas through this the time championship. They sucked. <laughs> yeah, they were a weaker team. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that's another. That's term another way of saying sucking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But look, look, the the celebrations were were huge at St James's Park, and I mean the team had set out to do what what it set out to do and yes mm-hmm. last time that they've been in the championship they won it by a record number of points they won it with like six or seven games to go smashed everyone and then roared back up in the premier league this time been a lot harder and i you know the celebrations from the fans were more were a mixture of relief mm-hmm. a big part relief as well as the joy of of success mm-hmm. and you know New, newcastle belong in the premiership belong, belong in the top league they're actually one of the biggest clubs in england they do you're right they do so yeah, there we go. That was now. Listen, since since it's the uh, <clears throat> the uh, opinion has been put forward that the, that listeners will be fast forwarding <laughs> through the podcast. It's just a theory. Just a theory. <laughs> and a lot of fun has been made of Newcastle uh, top five moments of 2017. How about I do the number one Newcastle top uh, moment of 2017 now, and we finish off with a game. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Just make it quick. Make it quick like a Newcastle team losing. <laughs> Make it quick like their stay in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> they're like a yo-yo. They're up, they're down, they're up, they're down. Newcastle United are not a yo-yo club, okay? <laughs> they are so a yo-yo club. In modern day football, they are a yo-yo club. A, pro- a pro-yo, but still a yo-yo. Listen, there is an expression that goes... One swallow a summer does not make. And one, two relegations in, what, five years, a yo-yo club does not make. Maybe it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it does. Look, it sounds like a good definition Well, it to me. sounds like two from five is almost 50%, right? That's 40%. Yeah, okay. So, so, so they've been bad. up and they've been down, and they've been up and they've been down. Now, what does a yo-yo do, Andrew? Okay. Let, let's just move <laughs> forward. Let's, do, let's just move forward. Like Newcastle. All right, all right here we go. To. Number one. This is it. This is the big one. Number one. 2017, number one, number one my, my top moment of, of 2017 for Newcastle United was Newcastle win the championship in May uh, by beating Barnsley at home 3-1. Now... It was a really close run contest between this and New South Castle getting promoted. It's testament to the importance of the Premier League that the celebrations for promotion often outshine the uh, celebrations for winning the actual league. Mm-hmm. Now, in the end, Newcastle winning the championship takes top spot because of the way it happened. Going into the final day of the season, Newcastle were in second place and needed Brighton to slip up to have any chance of winning the league. Now, on the last day of the season in all the leagues, all the matches are played at exactly the same time. Yeah, right. which is really cool. Which is really cool because yeah. you can have situations, and especially around relegation, where all the teams, um, where, where there'll be three or four or five teams actually in danger of being relegated that, that right. season. But very rarely do you get to the last day of the season and actually have the championship in play. Right. It happened a few years ago when Manchester City first won it. That it was, did, yep. Yeah. And so, it was super exciting, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. It was spectacular. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Last day of the season. So normally games are played over the Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Last day of the season, everyone plays. It kicks off at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Newcastle go into it in second place and need Brighton to slip up to have any chance of winning the league. Now, Newcastle did their job by easily beating Barnsley and looked set for second place as Brighton had been leading against Aston Villa, the team they were playing, the entire match. Yep. Then... In extra time, Villa score. Right. In the Brighton match, thus drawing the game and 
handing the championship to Newcastle. And of course, it was really cool because Newcastle match didn't have as much extra time. So Newcastle players were actually still standing on the field waiting with, you know, people relaying messages to them and the, and the fans. Right. Everyone was just in the stadium waiting to hear the result of the match. And when the result came through, you had, of course, the the cheering and celebration when they won the match against Barnsley, but everyone knew the real game was happening Dunham. over yeah, happening right. over at Brighton and Villa. And everyone's just waiting around the stadium and the news filters through and you start to see it sort of erupt around the stadium as people phoned out in their phones and the whole place goes bananas. It does sound pretty cool. It was. Was it, was it, was it at home? Was it a home yeah, game? Yeah, it was a home yeah. game. So, so it was yeah. at St. James's Park. So it was even more, more enjoyable because there was no pressure on Newcastle. Promotion had been secured and the result was largely out of their hands. It was Brighton's to lose. Now, in fairness, both Newcastle and Brighton had been swapping the lead of the league between them all season. And just as one would look like they were going to open up a lead at the top of the table, they would slip up and the top spot would be handed the other. Mm-hmm. If the sea, if I'm being honest, if the season had another couple of matches to play, I wouldn't have been surprised to see Brighton crown champions because Newcastle handed it to them. Yep. Straight after the match, match reports started circulating that upper management of Newcastle had promised there would be significant money made available for player transfers before next season. Now, Rafa Benitez, the manager of Newcastle, had been very vocal about needing to add to the squad. Mm-hmm. And had tried to do so in the January transfer window, but had been told the club would wait for the summer start of next season, to bring in those transfers. However, these promises came to very little, and in the end, there were very few additions to the squad that Rafa had been telling up a management for at least six months would struggle in the Premiership. Yep. So it would come to pass, Newcastle will end up in real danger of relegation come mid-season, this season we're currently in, having racked up the worst run of results at St. James's Park at home in Premier League history. Right. Yeah, Newcastle's setting all kinds of records for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Bad records. So the club continues with this roller coaster life of exhilarating highs, terrifying lows, and very, very little in between. So I've got uh, one question for you, Andy. Why aren't you a fan of a better team? <laughs> Good question. Because life is struggle. <laughs> Speaking of life is struggle, that makes me think of my number one game. <laughs> Sammy G's number one game of 2017. Take it away, kid. This would be Nier Automata, developed by Platinum Games. I don't even know where to begin with Nier because it is a bizarre game. It, like, it's a game that you could never imagine. If someone came up to you and said, here, make a game, and you made up a thousand ideas for games that would never even remotely approach the idea. And it starts off with a kind of simple present premise. It's in the future. There's androids, and they're trying to fight machines, right? It's a simple idea. The thing about it is, the Earth has been taken over entirely by these machines. They're just dumb robots that will just attack anything on site and group up and attack whatever they see. And so, all the human beings are totally living on the moon and not dead. Like, absolutely. Um, and you're playing as their android strike force to go back to the Earth and destroy the machines and make it inhabitable for humans again. When you say dumb machines just getting up to... So, I think of when you say the machines have taken over the world, right? I think of Matrix and I think of Terminator. Yep. But in both instances, they're not dumb machines. Right. They're actually quite... The reason that they, they, they were either, either enslaved the humans or had almost wiped out the humans is because they were smarter than the humans. Yeah. Um, in this case, it just comes down to the fact that they can, you know, just beat up humans, right? Like, sometimes it doesn't need to be particularly smart if all of it, all its ideas is to just attack. And if they keep re- reproducing and replicating and making more machines, then they're going to win. And it's, you know, they're, they're just pretty silly dumb machines. So you're playing as these androids, who are also kind of machines, fighting against these other machines on Earth to, pr- to bring back the humans, which it's very strongly hinted at at the very early of the game that they're yeah, probably not real because all you hear from them is a recording that's the same recording every time <laughs> or slightly edited each time. And, and this is a recording from the human masters. From the humans, yes. From, okay. the, from the person on the moon, totally, legitimately. Oh, like a doormat out of uh, Mr. Squiggle. Mm, yeah, pretty much. Who, who, which is a very Australian reference that no one else will get. Okay. But yeah. Continue on. But World the thing wide, is, is that, that, like, that, <laughs> that idea of, oh, you know, all the humans are dead, that's just like a, a small little, like, yeah, that's a side. You know, you think it's going to be this big twist later on, but it's, you know, barely even really brought up. It's just, yeah, this is just the fact of life. But the game goes on a lot of these ideas and exploration of a lot of philosophical concepts. And they, a lot of people criticized it for picking up an idea and just throwing it away because, you know, it's, it didn't really do anything with it. But when you think about it, a lot of philosophy is built on the idea of human beings and, you know, the, the rules that we set out to understand the world that we live in, 
don't really apply when there's no humans and you only have androids that were built by humans. Like, what does the philosophy of an android need hang to be? Hang on, hang on. I'm confused. Let's yeah. watch a trailer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, How dumb dumb. I might simplify this back down and, and just quickly talk about the gameplay itself. Okay. You're playing as androids. Okay. You go around, you beat up monsters. It's a kind of hack and slashy game. It's It feels very fun and it's it's very interesting. It's it, The first bit of it just seems kind of straightforward and simple. Cool little action pieces. And then the second bit of it is just crazy, crazy nonsense where... You just look back at it and go, wait, what was the, what was all this about? And the more you think about it, the more you realize just how clever it is. Yeah, okay. Okay, let's tra- do it. Gameplay trailer time. So, I mean, it's a game that I find really hard to talk about to people that don't play a lot of games because it, it's... Like us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, hang on, hang on. You, you've, you've brought... Now, at number five was Quadrilateral Cowboy. Yes. Now, you said about that game that it was a hard game for people who aren't gamers. Yes. Okay. Is this a hard game for people who aren't gamers in the same way? No. This game, I think you could legitimately give to someone who hasn't played a lot of games. We could pick it up. You could pick it up. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's quite an easy game to play. Mm-hmm. And the depth in, in the gameplay is pretty, like, naturally evolves. And, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to get into. But, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so unlike most other games. And it has these moments inside the game where you're just sitting there going, what's going on? What is this? What is this game? It's just it's such a bizarre game. Is that- it the story that is, is making it? Like, what's, what's making you... Um, so, I mean, I, I'm also trying not to be super spoilerific. Well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I don't mean to probe. No, um, no, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, so in Quadrilateral Cowboy, it was the the mechanic of scripting. So, yeah, so, yeah. so you played puzzle games before. You'd even played games that were good puzzle games. So you had many different ways of solving it. Yep. But the scripting took it to another level for you. Yes. Right? So what took Nia to the other level was I looked back on it and said, the soundtrack for it, I think, is one of the best soundtracks I've heard in any game ever. It's one that I just listen to in my day-to-day life, and it's just a great soundtrack to just get things done to. It's a, and it's just so powerful and emotive. The characters inside the game are really interesting and really developed in how they tell the story inside that game universe. It does a weird thing where it ends halfway through the game and makes you play through the game again from someone else's entire perspective until you get back up to that same point, and then it shows you the third act. And then when the third act happens, it just rewrites everything and just just takes the, the game from a direction of just being this kind of fun, beating up robots, finding out some stuff. Ooh, that's interesting. Oh, that villain's he's, he's a robot. That's a lot. He's a machine that's a lot smarter than other people. Oh, what's going on there? That seems interesting. And then the third act is like, yeah, no, that's all irrelevant because this bang. And you're just like, how did I miss that? How did how, what's going on? And. It just the, the heartbreak that the game inflicted upon me and upon everyone who's played it and that's loved it. It's, 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 it's something, it's so hard to talk about it, I could guess. We, could, we, could we do this as an episode, this game? It's a 30-hour game, so I don't okay. know if Andy's got yeah, the patience Andy, for that. Yeah, he's not going to get through it, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not. Well, you know what? I mean... To me, it sounds like a much more rewarding experience than watching Newcastle, and you watch <laughs> plenty of that. Uh, no, Newcastle has been a very re- rewarding experience. Has it? Yes. Has, no, definitely. Has re- relegation doesn't sound very re- rewarding. The la- last time Newcastle were relegated, not the last time, but the time before, yep. was was the greatest season I've ever watched. Well, it, I, like I had the most fun ever, and actually so he likes losing much. Mm. No, well, 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 uh, well yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, I'll tell you this. It, it actually... So, are you, either of you familiar with a movie called Fever Pitch? No. Okay. So, the story of Fever Pitch is um, the season where Arsenal... This is before Arsene Wenger won, won, won the championship. A guy goes through a lot of things in his life and the ups and downs of Arsenal during that season and their, and their eventual win... Mm-hmm actually mirror the sort of the the rhythm of, of his life or That's at least cool he concept. thinks yeah, yeah it is it's really good it's a really good movie you should you should watch it. it's a really good book too yeah that's the last relegation that Newcastle had not not last season but the about five seasons ago that season actually mirrored a lot of things that was happening in my life mm. at the time you know i i was not in, in a job that i didn't really like <laughs> and you know i was losing 4-0 all the time yeah. <laughs> So, you know, and, and sort of 
I'd been stuck in a bit of a rut for a few years. And to be honest, the Newcastle team leading up to relegation had been, that's why they got relegated. They've been stuck in a rut. So you needed to get relegated in your life in order to gain new management and well, it's uh, not as different players. Well, well, well actually, I, no, I, sorry, I, I'm just trying to draw the, the no, analogy. No, no, no. It's, it's, it, I, I actually had to sort of hit rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do, you do. Well, I mean, it's not that Ask similar a crack to- addict. It's, yeah. it's not that dissimilar where, I mean, I, I've played games in, in periods of my life where it really helped me gain a lot of perspective on things, right? Like just seeing a, a good story develop and you just kind of get bonded to some games that, you know, may not have been great games, but they were the game that you needed at that time. Yes, that, that's something that's so important to touch on when we're talking about all of these things mm-hmm. um, is that it depends so much on your state of mind when you go into these things. Absolutely. And, and yeah, like you said, like, you connected with the game because it came at a certain time. If you had played that game five years later or five years earlier, it may not have. You may have played it for ten hours and gone, "This is garbage." You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. And and like, there's so that is so important when we're looking at any sort of art or just things that we enjoy. Like, why do we enjoy them? You know? Yeah. No, and and look, I mean, I think something that resonates with me with with Newcastle is it's it's a working class club. It's a big mm-hmm. club, and more so than the other than far richer teams like the Manchester United's and the Chelsea's and those kind of things. I mean, Newcastle area isn't and hasn't been for like traditionally a great area. Like mm. it's not a place full of very rich people. It's a place full of a lot of working class. Yeah. And for a lot of people, Newcastle is is one of the shining lights in their in their life. And the, and you see that in the loyalty that people have and what they get from going to St James's Park. It's yeah. It, it, it's, spe- yeah it's it's special. It's definitely a different thing to like a Man U fan or whatever, you know. No, and, just, and yeah. you know, we'll, we'll have Man U fans who are like, you know, and they'll say, you know, we're just as passionate as Newcastle fans. But I'm just like, no, you're not, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, like, in, in people talk about it. In, in Newcastle, football is a religion. Yep. And, you know, that's that's the place of worship is, mm. is, is, is St. James's Park. And you know what? They got relegated and were not playing well and Newcastle were, were responsible for setting a new record for the number of people who watched championship matches last year. Instead of a lot of teams, when, when they get relegated and they go down, you know, you'll see the fans, you know, the, the, the attendances go down. Our attendances at Newcastle actually went up. Yeah, actually right. went up. Yeah. Like, it's almost like when the team needs, needs them the most, that's when they'll show up. I mean, that said, it's almost sold out every week anyway. And yeah. there's very, very few places in the premiership where we're actually yeah. sold out every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, let's get back to... Um, Sam's number one game for a second. Near uh, Automata. How how was this game received when it came, when did it come out? So it came out um I'm gonna say April. Yep. Um and it came out two weeks before Persona Five. Okay. And the thing is Persona Five was a much more anticipated game. Like okay. it had been developed for seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it built up lots yep. of these legacy games, so the fans were just rabid for it. And in fact the actual creator of uh, Near Automata, a guy named Yoko Taro, I think. Basically made a video basically saying, guys, you've ruined our game because now no one's going to know about us. Yeah. And there's like this heartfelt plea of just like, yeah, play can- my game, please. Yeah, I know that right. you, you've mi- you would have missed it in the shadow of Persona, but I'll, I'll be the first to say I missed it in the shadow of Persona because I was so looking forward and pumped for that game. And then, you know, August, sorry, October was about that I, I picked it up and played through it. And yeah, it was just one of these ones that you got to the end of it and you just just can't get it out of your head, right? Yeah. Just thinking about all those cool moments and all of those great ideas and, and great execution. And yeah. So, so the storytelling is similarly impactful to the remains of Edith Finch? What I, I would say- What remains of Edith Finch? Edith Finch had moments in it that were just genuinely amazing. Mm. And some bits of it that were okay, right? Like, the, you know, there's some, some, some lackluster bits. Whereas once you get to that third act in Nia, it's just from there to the end, just this- absolute barrage of great like just just recontextualizing so much about the game and just making you think what's the next bit what's going to happen next what's going to happen to these characters it's a game where you go from the first act of it being legitimately invincible you're an android if you die they can just take your consciousness make another android so there's like this weird like oh you know dying's no consequence just destroy this body teleport up over there and you're good right so it creates this like this feeling that everything is invincible and it just takes it all away from you in a way that's just like you just couldn't see coming. You just couldn't like imagine just how bad everything can get in three seconds. Okay, there it, you go. It, it sounds like you know when you're like you're reading like a really awesome book and you're trying to read quickly 
and you're almost like skipping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you're like, I can't skip the words because that's the whole reason why I'm reading the, the book. book. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's so exciting and you're just caught up in the whole moment of the thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So guys, as you know, this has been a much longer episode and we did a fair, we both did a fair bit of research and uh, preparation for this. Yeah, thank you for sticking with us for this, this length of time. Yeah, I mean, and we've put a lot of effort in. So we'd like you to put some effort in. I mean, just basically no effort at all, but, I feel like we're owed it. Like I, I mean, feel, I feel like you're stealing the podcast if you don't do it. Just like, what? Like just maybe like a Facebook post, maybe, or well, maybe leave a review. Leave a review for us on iTunes. Give us a rating and leave us a review. We're not asking for good ones. Yeah, we're just no. asking for reviews. You know, write out that we're the rambliest podcast out there. Yeah. We're not the right. We're not. We're definitely not. We're definitely not. But you know, also, you know, you've got the SoundCloud. You get up on the SoundCloud and and you give it some. You know, you give it some of the hearts and you and you subscribe to our SoundCloud feed. Mm -hmm. And then everyone knows about about the uh, the uh, YouTube and also share it on social media. Like we've got SoundCloud uh, SoundCloud tracks. We've got YouTube tracks. We've got iTunes. Share those things and you know get on the Facebook. Get on the Facebook because you know I'm yeah, tr- I'm a, yeah. I'm a the traditional Facebook. because it used, the Facebook. To, it used to be called the the the, the Facebook. Facebook before yeah. um, Justin Timberlake came along and said drop the that's and Justin yeah. Timberlake playing yeah I know yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, wow. so anyway <laughs> but yeah. in my mind it's Justin Timberlake I'm yeah. like Justin Timberlake did Napster what <laughs> <laughs> follow us on Facebook and recommend us to your friends and you know what you know we're good people because. I'm looking at Andrew and he gave blood today. I gave blood today? Yeah. What a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah. So while you're out there doing that, you know, go give some blood as well. Yeah. Yeah. Give some blood. It's such a good thing to do. Yeah. You'll feel, you'll feel real wholesome. Even though you won't be whole anymore. <laughs> but you'll be giving whole blood. Ah, exactly. Holla. So and there, and leave a so, comment, yeah. leave a review, yeah. like us on, on and social share. media. And yeah. share. Share the share, hell share. out of the podcast. Share, yeah. share, share, and share. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks again for listening.